0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be in the house, isn't it? If some of you don't know who I am, my name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, J.O. kind of calls me the, what was that term? The utility pastor. You ever play baseball? There's a utility player. He can play first base, third base, outfield pitcher. Well, that's kind of me. If you need me to bury you, to marry you, to counsel, to organize, to do something detailed, to work with men's ministry, to work with the missions ministry, to help a first impressions team, then I'm kind of your guy. And it's a great place to be. Uh, I might be old, but there's still some tread on the tires and get to serve Jesus, and I still get to do what I love to do. Amen? You might think you're here by accident this morning. It's not an accident. Right. You're here on purpose. Right. And I tell you what, God's got something to say to you. you. Say, "Oh, really, me? I've been in the way for so. I've been on the way for so long." No, oh, God can still talk to you. Right. Right. All you have to do is open your heart to Him, and I believe He has something He wants to say to you. In fact, would you just open your hands in front of you? If you agree, disagree with me as I pray. Lord, I just thank you this morning for the privilege I have to open my heart, to open my hands to you. To hear from you, to receive from you, and then to apply the Word of God to my life in a fresh way today. Because you want to make me more like you, you want me to walk in maturity, you want me to walk in wholeness, you want me to walk in healing that you have for me. And so I remove all obstacles that are created in a wall that between me and you that, that keeps that from happening, and I open myself afresh to you, even as we sang this morning, in a fresh surrender to you this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're joining us online, welcome. It's so good to have you online. We do appreciate you joining us, and you are welcome to come anytime in the sanctuary and join us here for one of our three gatherings every weekend. That's if you're close enough to come. This morning, we're going to talk about healing. We've been doing God Is today. God is my healer. Now, I'm not saying God is our healer, because he is, but I wanted to make it personal this morning. God is my healer. Would you say that with me? God is my healer. Oh, let's say it one more time with conviction. God is my healer. Oh, yes. Now, healing is kind of a vast subject, and there's lots of people that have opinions on what healing should be and and, and how it needs to take place. And and healing was just for yesterday or or healing is only for today or healing is for tomorrow or healing is only when we get to heaven. And there's just different camps that people camp out on on healing. So I'm going to try and stay away from opinions because we all have an opinion and stick to the word of God and talk about what the Bible says, and let's teach the Bible this morning. And I have a personal experience with healing that I'm going to share with you this morning about my life. And you have a personal experience possibly with healing as well. And you know what? Anybody who has an argument with you can't win because if you have an experience of what God has actually done in your life, that trumps an argument any day of the week. Healing. In In the Old Testament, the word is rapha. In the New Testament, the word is sozo, and it means to make thoroughly whole. I love that. Not just heal as an, as an uh, outside thing, but something inside and through you to make you whole. The Lord who heals. It literally means to save or to heal. To cure a disease or a wound and to restore soundness. To restore purity, to reconcile, to heal a breach or an indifference, or to cure a moral disease. God's very nature, friends, is healing. He is a healing God, and he is here to meet your need in whatever capacity it might be. Now, we're going to talk about three ways of healing this morning. The first one is spiritual healing. We all, at one point in our life, are in need of spiritual healing. It's when our spirit becomes so damaged by sin because of the life that we've lived, because of the things that we've done, we become separated from God. And there's a moment in time where you come and surrender to him. You bow your knee. You say with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. I believe with my heart, and I say it with my mouth that he is Lord. And you have a spiritual healing that takes place. Some of you this morning are going to have a spiritual healing this morning, right here, right now. This is your day. Secondly is emotional healing. Now, that's when a person no longer has an emotional response to sin. They're ambivalent. They've got a seared conscience. There's no guilt anymore. Uh, They feel no conviction anymore. I kind of explained a seared conscience like this. If you were to take your head and hit it against that steel beam about 55 times, the 56th time, it probably wouldn't feel anything, would you? And there's a point sometimes where we just keep on doing the same thing over and over and sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning. And and we no longer have a feeling. We become ambivalent. There's no longer any conviction. Well, folks, you need to come to a place in your life where you receive some emotional healing in your life and God can restore that feeling. He can restore that sensation. He can restore the tears in your life. He can make you new again emotionally. And thirdly, physical healing where we lay hands on the sick, and we pray over them, and they shall recover. We're going to actually pray for people this morning for healing in your life. We're going to lay hands on you. We're going to anoint you with oil, and we're going to pray the prayer of faith that you shall recover. (laughs) Can you just get some faith in you for that? I've been prayed for so many times, and God's done nothing. Well, build a bridge and get over it, because we're going to pray for you again today. We live in a broken world. Everybody in this room has a story. There's hurts. There's pain. There's divorce. Loss of job. There's loss of loved ones. There's heartache. There's all kinds of things that have taken place in our life. There's arthritis, there's cancer, spiritually separated from God. And we don't have all the answers, folks. I wish I had answers as to why. All I can say is that we live in a fallen world, and we're living in a fallen world. And one day, hallelujah, Jesus is going to return. I believe that. Actually, it's not just a story, it says that he shall descend himself. And we who are alive wouldn't it be cool if we were still alive? And it says, in the blinking of an eye. Everyone, okay, on the count of three, I want you to blink your eyes. One, two, three. That's how fast it will happen. That we will be transformed and we will meet him in the air. In fact, there's an old song. There's going to be a meeting in the air in the sweet, sweet by and by. Anybody know it? Such so singing there will be never heard by mortal here. In the land beyond the sky. I guess you guys just don't know that one. Okay. (laughs) God desires to bring healing and wholeness into every one of our lives. Isaiah chapter 53 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds or by his stripes, we are healed. We pray that all the time. The Hebrew word for pain that is used throughout the Psalms refers to physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. Jesus suffered on the cross to bring us peace. He suffered on the cross to bring a sense of wholeness to our life. And so we refer to his work on the cross for our present healing that he wants to bring into our lives. And I believe that God also uses modern medicine to bring healing into our lives. Hezekiah in 2nd Kings chapter 20 says, Hezekiah was sick and he was near death. And Isaiah said, take a lump of figs and lay it on the boils and he recovered. And so there was a method that went through there that there was a response with medical healing. X-rays, CT scans, PET scans, MRIs are all things that have improved over decades, where now medical professionals can actually see inside. It's amazing how they can see inside, and they can sometimes see what's wrong. In fact, if you're a medical professional, that is the field that you work in. In fact, would you stand up if that's what you do for your life right now? Would you please stand up? Look at these wonderful people. Look at them. Look at them. Thank you. Thank you for what you do because you are making a difference in the lives of people. In my journey, February was a really, really tough month. And there was a moment in that month when I was at home, I was despondent, I was depressed. I was demoralized, I was dehydrated, I didn't want to get out of bed. The wife and I were having many righteous conversations, and they were not good conversations. And sometimes she raised her voice about what I needed to do, and I said, no, I won't! Then she called my daughter in Wyoming, and they got together and conspired together. And she got off the phone, and she called the cancer center, and the cancer center said, bring him down now. It was a Friday evening. It was dark. It was drizzly. Got in there, and I found out that my uh, blood sugar level was over 600, which is almost comatose. I had no idea. I was completely dehydrated. This nurse took care of me her name was Lisa I felt like she saw me I felt like she cared for me and there was a point in my visit where they said we can't let you go home and she wheeled me under the freeway that road that goes underneath the streets to the ER and I was in ER for about 7 hours as they stuck needles in me and they filled me up so that I could live some more instead of succumb when it was all said and done I went back to that nurse and I looked at her, and I said, you know, I know you do this day in and day out. And I know it probably gets old, and I know that you just kind of keep on just doing it. But can I tell you something? I want to tell you that what you have done for me made a difference. And you, dear sister, are making a difference in the lives of people that you minister to. <laughs> Big tears in her eyes. And I said, I am going to come back When I am better, I'm going to come back and I will find you. (laughs) And months later, just a few weeks ago, I went back to the hospital. I went back to the cancer center and I found her. And I had a card that I gave her and I wrote a special greeting to her. And I looked at her once again and I said, I am now completely restored. And I just want to thank you for your part in the process in helping me. Great big tears in her. and She said, that's the reason why I do this. That's the reason why I do it. So medical professionals, you are making a difference in the lives of people. Don't ever think that. Don't ever give up. Don't ever tire from what you do. Okay. Caution. Medicine is not God. Pills are not God. Medicine can only do so much. That's why it's a partnership. It's a partnership where you're working with God for what he's doing. And how do you explain the healing? You can't. But you do know that when we partner with him, he does marvelous things. In fact, some of you, whenever someone comes to look at a church, they obviously look at their website or they will watch a service online. On our website, under what we believe, under the heading healing, this is what it says. We believe in the healing of the body by divine power or divine healing in its varied aspects as practiced in the early church. Acts chapter 4, verse 30, it says, By stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Patrick, come on up here right here. Just stand right here. So this is what we believe. We believe that as you come forward to receive healing, that we will stretch out our hands, we will lay our hands on you, we have anointing oil, and we will anoint you with oil, and we will pray the prayer of faith over you, that you shall be healed in Jesus' name. Now, I'm not the healer, he's the healer. And we are just a conduit of his grace, of his power, of his blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles. To, do you have old-fashioned Bibles? I, I, I still like an old-fashioned Bible. Bless God. I love to have an old-fashioned Bible. In fact, we used to say in the old days, turn in your Bibles, and you would hear the whole congregation turn pages in their Bible. Now all we hear is click, 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 click. So go to 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. And while you're looking that up, I want to ask you a question. How many in this room have personally experienced at some point in your life the healing touch of the Savior in your life. Just, that's amazing. You have a testimony. Don't ever deny that testimony. Don't ever deny what God has done. First, second Kings chapter five. Would you mind standing with me? Can we stand for the reading of the word today? Wonderful story. Now, Naaman "'Commander of the army of the king of Syria, "'was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, "'because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. "'He was also a mighty man of valor, "'but he was a leper. "'And the Syrians had gone out on raids "'and had brought back captive a young girl "'from the land of Israel. "'She waited on Naaman's wife. "'Then she said to her mistress,' If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus, and the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, Think of how much he's trying to do here. And 10 changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill or to make alive, that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks to quarrel with me. He thought he wanted to pick a fight with him. He got this letter saying, hey, I'm sending a guy to your area, and I want you to heal him. And he's going to go see some prophet in your land to heal him. And this king thought he wanted to pick a fight. Who am I? I can't heal. Verse 8. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Verse 9. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots, stood at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious And went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord God and wave his hand over me and heal the leprosy. Why are not the Albana and the far, far rivers of Damascus much better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near him and spoke to him and said, my father... If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more when he says you wash and be clean? So he finally went down, dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to what the man of God has said, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except Israel." Thank you. You may be seated. Isn't that a great story? Here is the story, the spiritual journey of Naaman. So Naaman was a high-ranking official. This was set in the northwestern Mediterranean region. It was between Palestine and Mesopotamia in the land of Syria. It was on the edge of the Arabian Desert, It was like an oasis city where this was taking place. It was a land that was fertile. It had plants, it had green, it was alive and it was prosperous. There was power, there was authority here. The city was Damascus and it was one of the greatest cities in the world at that time. There was a lot that took place. Victories were won by this army. Even victories over Israel had taken place. A man by the name of Naaman was the captain of the host of Syria. He was a second in command to the king. He was an honorable man, and he had the respect of his comrades that he served. He, has a, he was a great man of respect, but he had leprosy. Now, leprosy, in those days, there was no cure. You had leprosy until you died. I was going to actually put a picture on the screen of leprosy, But I felt it was so degrading because leprosy will produce bumps and sores all through your body. These bumps and sores become so bad that you can't even feel them anymore. You can't feel pain anymore. In fact, eventually, leprosy will take your hands and it will take your feet and destroy you. If you were a leper, you couldn't be around common folks. As a leper, you had to live in a separate area so many feet away. In fact, if you came towards the company of people that were normal people, you would have to declare your presence. You would have to say words like, unclean, 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 and everybody would run who was around you to get away from you. Naaman and his army would frequently conduct raids on Israel. And what happened was, they would take slaves as captives and bring them back into their camp. After one raid in particular, they brought this young girl back, and she began to serve in the household of Naaman. When she learned that her captor had le- had uh, leprosy, she said something to Naaman's wife. She said, "Oh." I wish that my master was back in my land where the prophet is because my, the prophet would pray over him and heal him of his leprosy. And so the wife went to Naaman and said, Hey, hey, we have someone in our camp who says this and this and this. And so Naaman then goes to uh, his king and said, Hey, I want to go to this land. Would you write a letter? And they write a letter. And they, you know, we already read the story of how that would happen. It's interesting as I was reading through this, that the young girl didn't say these words when she found out that her master had leprosy. Oh, well, he got what he deserved. Good, I hope he dies. Didn't say that. Didn't say, uh, that's God's punishment for him. She didn't say all those things. The first thing that came to her mind was, Oh, I wish that he could be back where my prophet is because he could lay his hands on him and pray over him and he would be healed of his leprosy. Wouldn't it be better if we were kind of like that instead of judging people all the time? <laughs> Absolutely. Don't shoot the messenger because sometimes we get so self-righteous, don't we? I think that we forget where we came from. Oh, let that sink in just a little bit. So Naaman shows up at the king of Israel. He's got his letter of permission. And then he gets sent over to where the prophet is. And I can just imagine what's going on here. He brings a whole entourage with him. There's horses and there's chariots. 6,000 shekels of gold. 10 talents of silver and 10 sets of clothing. Last night, Pastor Leo, who was a pastor in Japan for over 50 years, said that this is the story that he preached all the time in Japan. And he says, do you realize how much money was invested in this that he was bringing to the, to the prophet? He wanted to pay for his healing, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. So if you'll picture the scene with me, it's a great big fanfare. Naaman sends his servant to go to the prophet. And I can imagine they probably had all kinds of people there, and they're just like this shows up maybe at this tent or wherever they are. And they're all there, and they're waiting. I am here now. I am here to beseech thee. I am looking for the prophet. And they're waiting at the door, and Dehazi, who's the servant, comes to the door and says, yeah, what do you want? Well, we were told that we could come here and be prayed for by the prophet, and our commander-in-chief would be healed of his leprosy. Oh, just a moment. I'll go get the prophet. And so they're all standing there waiting and waiting and waiting, probably impatient. Have you ever been impatient for God to answer your prayer? So later, the servant comes back, and the servant says, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, The prophet says, go to the Jordan River and dip seven times and you'll be healed. See ya. Have a nice day. God bless you. (laughs) Bye-bye. I can imagine Naaman saying, who does this bozo think that he is? I expected him to come out and to wave his hands and touch me and call on the name of his God to come and to heal me, and I would be cleansed of my leprosy. I didn't expect one of his hirelings to come out and give me a message. I want to talk to the real guy face to face. No, he didn't come really to hear about God. He didn't really care about God. All he came for was his healing. What he really wanted was a drive-by healing. (laughs) He wanted to pay his money and go home. Sometimes we're like that with God too, aren't we? We come and pay our respects. Hey, I'm glad. I hope, I hope you're glad I'm here, God. I hope that you're blessed that I'm here. Oh, wow. Give me a break. I began to think about how our expectations and how we think God ought to work. See, he thought that God ought to work that way and wave his hands. We have this idea of how we think God ought to work, right? You see, we put God in. A box just like this. And as long as God works inside this box, we're good. Because, see, I have a paradigm. I have, according to my knowledge, how God works. He works this way and this way and this way. He does not work outside of the box. He doesn't work outside of what I understand. He doesn't work outside of the knowledge that I have. He doesn't work outside of the experiences that I have. And so I put God in this box, and I tell him, this is the only way you can work. And what happens when he works outside of the box, when he does something that just doesn't seem right? We think it's not God, but it might be God all the same. We're really bad at putting God in a box, aren't we? And telling him, this is how you have to work. But that's not God. I'm not God. And so we have to come to an understanding where we enlarge our tent and allow God to move as he sees and as he feels. And there's moments and times where you just realize, this is a God moment. And it's outside of what I understand. It's outside of what I can conceive. But yes, it is God. It's like sometimes we come to a service and you're in the midst of worship. You know God can heal you in the midst of, your, in the midst of worship? Just while you're worshiping, surrender, all of a sudden, it's gone. Well, that's not how God... Yes, it is. That's how God works. You may be in a service, and the presence of God is so real, and it's like you can't put your finger on it. You can't figure it out, but you just know that God is here, and he's speaking to me. Had somebody here last night who was just a drive-by, riding on a bike. Hadn't been in church for 25 years, came into the service, found someone that he knew 25 years ago, and they did a lot of sin together, is what it was said. And in the midst of the service, he's just bawling through the entire message because God was speaking to him, making things right spiritual healing and working on a physical healing in his life, even right now. Naaman was insulted. Told to go to a foreign river and dip seven times. Makes no sense. Has God ever said something to you that just doesn't make sense? And you've had a problem with it? Well, that makes no sense. Yeah, according to you. But we only see a little piece of the pie, right? He sees the big pie. And many times later on, we look back and we say, oh, King Wasabi. Now I see. Now I know Why? I didn't understand that it made no sense now, but now it makes sense. Sometimes when we're training and teaching our children, we tell our kids to do something to them in their little minds. It doesn't make sense, does it? But then when they get older, they oh, mom and dad aren't so dumb. <laughs> I see. Jordan River. He began to kind of push that. Well, there's... Why that river? There are so many nice rivers that I could go to. There is uh, uh, rivers in Albania and far, far in Damascus that are much nicer than Jordan. Why can't I just go to one of those rivers? Do you know why? Because there's something about the process in the healing. It's not just the act. It's not Just the river, but there's something about being walking in obedience and submitting to the process that God wants you to submit to that brings what He wants to bring in your life. And you can't experience it without doing it. Because we want to drive by, don't we? It's got to be a deeper significance to Jordan. Jordan represents truth, truth washes away all the things that are false. Like water washes away dirt and grime. It brings us to a place of hope, of restoration, and healing. I don't know about you, but I need more hope. There are things in my life where I feel hopeless, where I've lost hope, where I no longer have any hope, and we need to come to that place where we ask God, I need that hope again. I need that restoration. I need that healing. I need that wholeness. Oh, and on the way home last night, I was just thinking about hope over and over again. And there's an old chorus. Would you sing it with me? I'll probably sing a solo, but that's okay. (laughs) Precious name, oh, how sweet hope of earth and joy of heaven, precious name. Oh, how sweet hope of earth and joy of heaven. He is our hope. He is our restoration. He is our wholeness. He is our healing. Have you ever disagreed with God? He told you to do something and you disagreed. Naaman had a really bad attitude. It says that he was furious. He was ticked off that he had a bad attitude. You've heard from God. You know what he wants you to do, but you still say no. We're just stubborn people, aren't we? Bible sometimes calls us stiff-necked. Ooh. He's just looking for our obedience And sometimes obedience is a very simple thing. It's as simple as going to the Jordan River and dipping seven times. How hard is that? Thank God Naaman had some advisors. Do you know that number three, friends matter? People you hang around matter. As parents, when our kids were little, you better believe we want to know who are your friends. And do we know their parents? And do we know what's going on in their home? You are not going to do that and you're not going to do this until we know more about your friend because we know that friends matter. The people you hang out with, the counsel you get from other people matters. And sometimes we go to all the wrong people. We are looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> you got to go to the right place to find the right answer. You got to go to the love of Jesus to find the right answer for living in godliness. You just can't take the counsel of the world. Right, right. Blessed are those who walk in the counsel of the godly. So he had some friends around him, and they said these words: "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! whoa, whoa. Stop the camels! <laughs> Look, Naaman." If the prophet had asked you to crawl on your hands and knees for five miles, would you not have done it? If he asked you to sit down and eat wild insects, would you not have done it? Well, yeah. Then all he's asking you to do is go to the Jordan River and dip seven times and you'll be healed. What is wrong with that? All you have to do is just walk in obedience. And sometimes I think the Lord's yelling and screaming at us, all you have to do, honey... Is obey (laughs) you ever done that with your kids just like honey all you have to do is obey and life will be so much better for you God says that to all you have to do is obey and life will be so much better for you my way is not your way so Naaman finally gets off his high horse Consents to go to the Jordan. Fine, I'll do what you want. I'm. Well, how does that s- saying go? I might be standing up on the outside, but I or no, I'm, I might be sitting down. But, but I'm standing up on the inside. I'm ticked off. It might look like I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, but on the inside, I am ticked off and I am standing up. <laughs> nanny, nanny, poo, poo. And I think that's kind of what he was like. Fine, I'll go to the river. I'll dip seven times. I hope you're happy. Sometimes we show up at church and we just say, God, I hope you're happy I'm here. (laughs) I'd say, you got an attitude problem. (laughs) So he takes what he doesn't understand. He takes his bad attitude. He takes doing what he doesn't want to do. he says, I'll just get it over with and I'll just do it. First dip. Second dip. Third dip, fourth dip, nothing happens, nothing happens. What is going on here? Nothing, I thought I was supposed to dip, and I thought he was supposed to heal me. I thought this leprosy was gonna be gone. Give me a break. You know what? Actually, he just wanted to make me look like an idiot. I bet you that they're all laughing at me right now. I bet you they're all looking, ah! <laughs> look at what he actually did. <laughs> and sometimes we feel that way with obeying the Lord, and we think people are looking at us and judging us, and they're laughing at us. But I wanna tell you something. When Noah was building the ark, people might have been laughing at him, but when it started to rain, they weren't laughing anymore. Fifth dip, sixth dip, nothing. After the sixth dip, he's like, I'm done. I am so done. I am going to quit. This obviously is not working. Have you ever been obedient to God? You've been doing what he asked you to do. You've been faithful in doing what he wants you to do, and nothing happens. And you get to the place where you just want to quit. I'm done. I'm out. That's it. I am so done with this. I am so done with church. I'm so done with uh, following God. I'm so done with doing this obedience. And you know what? Some people say, last night I had the opportunity to pray with someone, and they were just bitter towards God because they got hurt in church years ago. Aw. <laughs> that's so sad? Everybody in this room has been hurt by somebody sometime, somewhere. And sometimes we use a reason that becomes an excuse for what we don't do. Yes, I was hurt some time ago because somebody in church hurt me. I didn't like what the pastor said, so I got hurt. So I never went back to church. Well, that might have been a reason at the time that you didn't deal with it. And now it's just an excuse not to deal with it. And there's a point where we need to get over ourselves and we need to come to that place to, real, to deal with it and not allow that to be a barrier or a stumbling block to our relationship with God. Sixth dip. Then came the seventh dip. <laughs> Bible says his skin became like a smooth, like a young child. Smooth as a baby's bum. I have no idea how that happens. I don't know how it happens, but I know it's God. Yeah. Seth, you're about to have a baby. I mean, well, your wife is. <laughs> there, I've been in the hospital many times to see the birth of babies, and I want you to know that the birth of a baby is a miracle. Yeah. I can't get my head around it. I don't understand how a man and a woman can come together in intimacy, and nine months later, there's this beautiful baby boy or baby girl that is born with all these little fingers and toes, and, ah, ah, and, it's, and it's perfectly formed. And you look at that; is a miracle. It's interesting. Babies aren't born in the fourth month, or the fifth month, or the sixth month or well, the seventh month, it's not till the ninth month. So do you give up on the seventh month? Ah, oh, wow, this baby's not coming, so forget it. Let's just go on with life. No, you have to keep keep moving forward, yes. Keep believing. Keep believing that God's going to bring it to pass. And whatever you're contending for in your life, friends, and it hasn't happened yet, and you can't see it, would you believe with me that God is still working, even if I can't see it? He's working, even if I don't feel it. He's working in my life, and that's the work that he's begun in you. He will perfect it, and he will complete it until his creation comes together. Amen. Oh, somebody, somebody needs to say glory. 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 And so a changed heart becomes a changed life. Naaman goes back, and he says, I now know that there is only one God, the God of Israel. And his life was changed. It was November of 2020, Thanksgiving. I was shaving in the morning and I noticed that there was a large lump on my neck. It freaked me out. I thought, hopefully it's just a big pimple. When I was a teenager, I was a pimply kid. I had zits all over the place and I thought, well, this is just a really big pimple. Can I just squeeze it? I looked at Susan, and I said, does this look normal? Mm." She says, no, you're never normal. Um, But no, that does not look normal. (laughs) Went to the doctor and got a biopsy. It wasn't conclusive, so they did another biopsy. Doctor called me and said, I'm so sorry to tell you that it's cancerous. She says, but we'd like to do another biopsy. We want to go into your throat and see if maybe there's a host back there. So they put me to sleep, and they they took another biopsy at the back of my throat, and there it was. The host was right there. So I had two big things of cancer that were in me. Had a choice. Could do robotic surgery, or we could do radiation and chemo. And while I was uh, making that decision and... We felt the Lord say to go forward with radiation and chemo. I came across a piece of garbage in my garbage pail the other day of a word that was spoken over me in January of 2020 at The Sound by Patrick Kitely. It says, you have been through many seasons in your life and ministry. I see the word faithful and trustworthy written all over the two of you. You are like Gumby pliable, and able to bounce back. I can trust you with my anointing. There will be an overflow coming in this new season. You will speak wisdom into men. This is going to settle you. He will use you to establish people and speak wisdom into their lives. Because of the pain you have experienced, you have a keen sensitivity to emotions, to hearts, and to hurts of people. God wants to release a healing mantle over you and you'll be stepping into the best season you have ever seen. I was reminded of those words that God had spoken to me. So we went into radiation seven weeks, five days a week. This was my radiation mask. I would have to take my glasses off. I had to shave myself. And what I did is I had to lie down on this cold, hard trough, and this would be put up to me, and it would be skin tight. And then they would use these black little clips here, and they would staple them down. So it was like so tight, you couldn't move nothing. Can you say the word claustrophobia? (laughs) I did not do well with this at the beginning. And that was five days a week for seven weeks. But that happened. And then I had two rounds of chemo where they put these things in you for a whole day and they suck your blood and they put stuff in you and they push it out and all that kind of stuff. That was the journey. On March 5th, I was done with all of my treatment and I thought it was over, but that's only when the side effects began to take place. No, no hunger, didn't want to eat. Un- incessant coughing, phlegm, I was always <coughs> coughing up stuff. Susan got grossed out every time. I got depressed. I would only sleep. I was totally like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I want to quit. I want to get out. I don't understand it. I have a bad attitude. And in the midst of it, I lost my voice. I thought maybe I'll never get my voice again. But you know, there's an incredible network of family and friends that surrounded me that continued to pray. I'd be depressed, and I'd come to staff meeting, and the staff would gather themselves around me. They would lay their hands on me, and they would believe the best, and they would pray over me. And there was a host of people that were standing in the gap with me. When my arms were weak, there was people that was holding them up and saying, we're going to get through this. We're going to take it a step at a time. So question, was it the medicine that healed me, or was it God that healed me? And the answer is yes. I believe it's a partnership. He could have just zapped me. I could have been healed immediately. It could have been a miracle. But I believe it was part of the process of the whole thing together and me being willing to submit to it. But three weeks ago, I started to eat again. I still have a feeding tube. I still got a tube here. And if I can go another 10 days without taking the feeding tube and just eating through my pie hole, then they're going to take this thing out. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Even last night, J.O., I had some prime rib. Come on. With some ketchup. It was good. And I had some salad. I had no desire to eat. I don't know why God answers some prayers, and he doesn't. According to my timetable, according to... According to the box that I put God in, I don't understand. But in the midst of it, I trust him. John Wimber, founder of Vineyard Church. He says, my responsibility is to pray. God's responsibility is to heal. If he chooses not to do so, then he's responsible for that. Folks, there's a lot of things that we don't know this side of heaven. Right now we see through a glass dimly, through a veil dimly. But then we shall see face to face. And that's where faith comes in and we stand in agreement.